0: Good morning, Vintage Church. Good morning. Well, no one's good morning. Editing, that's why. Happy early Thanksgiving. It's so good to see you all today. And it's great to be here to be able to worship to God together. You know, we worship a God who is worthy of all glory, honor, and power. A God who sent his son to give us life. And we gather today to magnify him, as the psalmist did in Psalm 166. He said, Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. We join today in the chorus of all the earth as we sing glory to our God and King. So let's stand together. Let's worship the Lord as we sing to God be the glory. To God be the glory,
1: great things he have done. So loved he the world that he gave us his Son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all. people rejoice Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give Him the glory, great defender who truly believes that moment from jesus our pardon we praise the lord praise the lord let the earth hear his voice praise the lord praise the lord let the people rejoice Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he hath done. Great things he hath taught. Son, and give him the glory. Great things he have. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord.
2: called God over all. Let's pray together. O God, all-sufficient, You have made and uphold all things by the Word of Your power. You walk on the wings of the wind. All nations are nothing before You. The heavens we behold will vanish away. The earth we tread on will dissolve as a morning dream. But You, unchangeable and incorruptible, are forever and ever, God over all, blessed eternally. Infinitely great and glorious are You. We are Your offspring and Your care. Your hands have made us and fashioned us. Let us bless You at all times. And forget not how You forgive our iniquities, heal our diseases, redeem our lives from destruction, Crown us with loving kindness and tender mercies. Satisfy our mouths with good things. Renew our youth like the eagles. Amen. Indeed, we rejoice that if
0: we are in Christ, we belong to God. We are His children. And today as we approach the end of Romans chapter 9, we we are reminded that the only reason that we can belong to God is because He has called us His people. He has guaranteed our adoption by faith through the work of His Son on the cross. And if we are indeed God's children, His beloved people, then what Peter declares in 1 Peter 2 is good news for us. He says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you're in Christ, then the riches of those truths belong to you. Today we rejoice that through the cross we have been called to Jesus to come and lay down our lives, to take up the life that he offers to us through his death and resurrection, for he has called us out of darkness and he has called us into marvelous light. Into
1: marvelous light I'm running Out of darkness, out of shame Through the cross you are the truth You are the light, you are the way I once was fatherless A stranger with no hope your kindness waken me, waken me from my sleep now. Your love, it beckons deeply, a call to come and die. By grace now I will come, take this life, take your life. Sin has lost its power, death has lost its sting. From the grave you've risen Victoriously Into marvelous fight I'm running Out of darkness, out of shame Through the cross you are the truth You are the light, you are the way My dead heart now is beating my dead heart now is beating, my deepest stains now clean, your breath fills up my last, now I'm free, now I'm free. My dead heart now is beating, my deepest stains now clean, your breath fills up my last, now i Has lost its power. Death has lost its sting. From the grave you risen victoriously. Into marvelous night. I'm running, out of darkness, out of shame. Through the cross you are the truth. You are the light. You are the way. Of this light, I'm running out of darkness, out of shame. Through the cross, you are the truth, you are the light, you are the way. So sin has lost its power, sin has lost its power, death has lost its sting From the grave you've risen, victoriously Sin has lost its power, death has lost its sting From the grave you've risen, victoriously Into marvelous light I'm running Out of darkness, out of shame You are the truth, you are the life, you are the way, into marvelous light I'm running, out of darkness, out of shame.
0: today that even though we have broken God's law, even though we stand condemned before Him, that God has made a way to justify us through the atonement achieved by His Son on the cross. So we rejoice today in the sacrificial and atoning death of Christ that covers us with His blood, that shelters us by His grace, that purchases our freedom. As we sing today in worship, may we rejoice in the sweet sound of saving grace, Christ has died for us. Now why this fear
1: and unbelief Has not the Father put to grief His spotless Son for us? And will the righteous judge of men For that dead of sin, now cancelled at the cross, Jesus, Jesus, all my trust is in your blood. atonement you have made, and by your death have fully paid, the dead your people owed. No wrath remains for us to face, we're sheltered by your saving grace, and sprinkled with your All my trust is in you. of saving grace how sweet the sound of saving grace Christ died for me be still be still my soul and know there's peace the merits of your great high priest have bought your lips His precious blood don't fear your banishment from god since jesus set you free jesus all my trust is in your blood Sound of saving grace how sweet the sound of saving grace Christ died for me how sweet the sound of saving grace how sweet the sound of saving grace Christ died for me in your blood less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground. Darkness veils his lovely face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anger holds within
3: the veil.
1: On Christ's solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His covenant and His blood Support me in the whelming flood And all around my soul gets way He then is all my hope and stay On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand shall come with trumpet sound oh may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone for lest to stand before the throne on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand all other ground is sinking Oh, Christ, oh, Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking
0: sand. God, we thank you that even when it seems that you are hidden, God, even when it seems that all around us gives way, you are eternal and unchanging. And you will accomplish your sovereign will. But God, what comfort we can have in knowing that we, we don't know what, what the future has, God. We don't know what's going on in our world, God. We can't understand so much, God, but we know you. Lord, and if we are in Christ, it's because you have called us to yourself. God, that you not only have made a way to redeem us, but God, you yourself have redeemed us. God, thank you that we can rest in, in your arms as your beloved children. God, may we, fi- may we find comfort in knowing you. God, and even as we get a glimpse of that, Lord, uh, when we gather, Lord, may it be what defines our lives, Lord, knowing you and making you know. God, as we are able to gather, able to worship you, even able to give now and to receive from your word, God, would you fill us with gratitude. And as a result, would you allow us to offer what we have freely to you? God, may we um, embody what it means to be a living sacrifice by the way that we uh, live our lives, by the way that we give our money, Lord, by the way that we worship you. God, be glorified by what we do here. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated as we uh, collect our offering. Children uh, three and under who are going to nursery can be sent to the back of the sanctuary at this time. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, Those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved, and for the Lord for the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And Isaiah predicted, If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah.
3: This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
4: Amen. It's a good day to be with God's people, isn't it? Every day is a good day to be with God's people. But when we singularly, in our time, singularly focus on the Word of God and His praise and His wonder and growing in Him, we find ourselves in a really good position to be in. Um, Thinking about Thanksgiving... Uh, uh, I was overwhelmed uh, by a few things. It wasn't only thinking about Thanksgiving, it was thinking about this sermon. Um, I'm overwhelmed uh, in thankfulness for this year. Uh, I know that it's uh, challenging to say that in the midst of it, and I think we're in the midst of it. I don't think we're on the end of it. I think 2020 might carry over a few months or longer. But um, it's so it's difficult to, to say that in the midst of it. But we can truly be thankful for this year because we know that God is working and he's been doing a lot of things for the church. As a matter of fact, I think this is sort of the beginning of the refiner's fire on the church uh, where God's true church stands out for him, stands up for him. I'm thankful that. You know, even in 2020, God is working. But (laughs) 2020 means that for the past seven years, many of you have been putting up with my sermons. (laughs) Uh, And so I figured just thinking loosely that you've heard me preach 300 plus times or been a part of MCs or talks or conversations. And uh, I was thinking about the critiques that I've gotten over the years. And how right they were mostly. And uh, I was just wondering if I could have done the same thing that you've done. If I could have stayed around for this, this long to watch a preacher guy grow over the course of that time. I didn't tell many of you this, but when we started Vintage Church, I had preached less than 20 sermons in front of a large size audience. Um, And so, I mean, I preached like I was preaching to anybody when I was a youth pastor, but uh, in front of a large size audience, I had preached less than 20 sermons. And so my first couple of sermons to you were some of the biggest audiences consistently that I ever preached to. Uh, And the Lord had been great. The Lord has been gracious even through that. Uh, So I was just thankful and overwhelmed uh, thinking about Thanksgiving, but also, um, just thankful that you guys have stuck it out with me uh, so long. And I hope that maybe we get to experience another 300 or so together.
3: Uh,
4: so today's sermon, we move into the next section of Romans chapter 9, verses 24 through 29. Um, today's sermon is really a summary of sorts of what Paul, is being, what, what Paul has been saying at the end of Romans chapter 8 into Romans chapter 9. Uh, we have seen Paul answering these questions over the last few weeks and they are important to see and understand. Has God's word failed? We saw that three or four weeks ago. No, of course it hasn't. With some good explanation from Paul. Is there injustice with God? No, of course there's not. With some good explanation from Paul. And why does God still find fault in mankind if he cannot resist? If man cannot resist his will? We saw the answer from Paul again under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And of course, there's all good answers to give context to what we studied. But all of these questions, I think, can be summed up into one overarching thought. Or one, one thought that has come to my mind at least a couple hundred times. Uh, in some way, shape, or form. Is Israel's unbelief inconsistent with God's plan? Why does Israel find itself not believing in the one true God if they are the elect, the called nation, the called out, the chosen nation? Why do we find them not believing in the one true God? Of course, we've answered this uh, over the last few weeks in different ways, but what I want to do is I just want to kind of Tie all of that together today uh, with some more context and some interesting illustrations that Paul uses. Um, What I want to do, will you just pray with me before we before we really get into it today? God, we are so thankful. We are so grateful. Lord, help that to be the most prevalent thought in our minds. One of the most prevalent thoughts in our minds as we think of you, thankfulness, gratefulness. Lord, help it to be one of the most prevalent thoughts in our minds when we think of the church, the body of Christ. Thankfulness, gratefulness. Lord, help everything that we do, every motivation we have for you, and for uh, to do for others, to be about your glory, but also out of cheerfulness and the gratitude of our heart for what you've done for us. Lord, thank you that you have never left us; you have never forsaken us. Thank you that you are you remain to keep a people amongst yourself and you will keep them until they die and until you return Lord we praise you because we have a confident assurance and salvation in Christ and Christ alone it's in that name we pray amen if we just take a glance at Paul's text sometimes and I know that I have felt this way before really studying Romans in depth and I will confess to you That other than my own personal studies, this is the first time that I've studied Romans in the type of depth that I'm studying it with now. Uh, Obviously, I was familiar with Romans. I knew Romans, but I would read chapters of Romans and it would constantly seem to me like Paul was getting was was wondering a little bit. He had too many side sermons in Romans and sometimes they didn't feel as if they were as connected as mine. which I know maybe I have a little biased in thinking my side sermons are connected. But upon further examination of Romans, of Romans 9, specifically today, what we find is that Paul is always, as a good teacher, doubling back onto a very important subject. He is reiterating and reemphasizing certain points that we must know and see. And that's what he's doing today. Uh, and he, what he's doing is then he's, he is concluding for us Romans 8 and really tying up and concluding Romans chapter 9 now I know at times for you the reader, the hearer for me the reader it can be feel sort of redundant um, but I, can, I have been able to guarantee one thing uh, is true about my life, I don't consider myself an educated person I don't even consider myself intelligent on a lot of things. But um, when someone repeats something in my head to me that goes into my head a thousand times, I am most likely to remember it. Um, I can still see my father with a scowl on his face saying something to the nature of, "If you don't keep up with your stuff, you will lose it and I will not get you something else." So for a long time, uh, even today, a little bit, I went losing valuable to me and in general things. But my father beat it in my head that uh, if I don't take responsibility for my stuff, no one will and it'll be gone. So that's something that subsequently I've translated or transferred down to my children. And so the point I guess I'm trying to make is, is that we will see Paul as a good teacher emphasize and emphasize and emphasize the important things so that at the end of Romans, when we're done studying Romans and we look back at Romans again, these certain very important topics will come back to our mind and it'll, it'll spark that memory in our head. So the redundancy is not without purpose. He, does, he uses this sort of tying up today. He uses two illustrations found in the Old Testament. One is found in Hosea and one is found in Isaiah, uh, is Isaiah to the prophet Isaiah. And he is answering for us one last time here in Romans 9. Is Israel's unbelief inconsistent with God's plan? Has God's plan somehow been thwarted? Paul is adding some context here. And I want you to see that today. And we're going to do that by looking at the first illustration. The story of Hosea. The story of Hosea reveals God's predetermined plan to save the Gentiles. The story of Hosea reveals God's predetermined plan to save the Gentiles. Look at verse 25. As indeed, he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it is said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. I want to give you today some important truths about Hosea and then I'll give you something applicable at the end. But I think this connection is fun. OK, and I'm not like like I told you, I, I don't consider myself intelligent, so I don't like things like this. I don't like little play on words and stuff like that. Some people are like, oh, that's so neat, you know, and they get it. They usually end up making a lot of dad jokes. But I don't I don't uh, I don't like I don't like play on words like that. But this is awesome. And I think it's going to be interesting to you. So we all likely know a little bit about the story of Hosea, right? Hosea, Hosea married a woman. And these are not my words. These are the words of the Bible. A woman of whoredom. Her name was Gomer. He married someone who the Lord knew, and he was commanded by the Lord to marry someone who he knew would leave and cheat on him. Gomer bore Hosea three sons. The first, are uh, three children. The first of their children was Jezreel. The second was Lo Ruhamas. Sorry, Lo Ruhema, and the third was Lo Ammi. At some point, Gomer left her husband. And family. And went to be with other men. She prostituted herself. She whored herself out. She abandoned Hosea. To the point where she rejected him. Even as her husband. Now in Hosea 3. We find the Lord commanding Hosea. This is the the plot twist in the story. Hosea 3. We find the Lord commanding Hosea. To go get his wife. To go get his wife. And bring her back into his house. To the point where Hosea has to go and Buy his, this is the, like the ultimate slap in the face for a man, by the way, for anybody. Hosea has to go to another man's house and buy his wife back for himself. And we look at this and we say, poor Hosea, get ready. You might not see what's happening here or you might not see the connection super clearly, but I have two things to point out from the story of Hosea. The story of Hosea is not a story of a gullible and desperate man. The story of Hosea is a man of grace and mercy and love. The story of Hosea was written to parallel the rejection of God by his people. God is the faithful husband and Israel is Gomer who had love and care, uh, who had the love and care of a faithful husband. But left it all for the arms of another man or men. We see this comparison more starkly in the way Hosea named his children. The first, Jezreel, was the word for the mo. It was the word for the motion of scattering or tossing away. Many times on the construction site, or even if in my own house, if I have a dust mop a dustpan and I have a brush and I'm close to the door. I'll sweep up the pile of dust. I mean, not many times at my own house. I do this a lot on construction sites. So I'll sweep up the dust and I'll open the door or I'll open a window and I'll chunk it. I'll just scatter it out. Jezreel means to be tossed away. To be scattered out. Jezreel represents the ten northern kingdoms because of their abandonment of God were captured by the Assyrians and taken into captivity, their second child was Lo Ruhema, a girl. The SV says "No Mercy" is her name, but this is not like Karate Kid No Mercy. This is she is not to be pitied or not loved, which shows that during the during the day of the scattering, during the days of the scattering, it would seem like God had removed His mercy and love for. From his people, and then there was a third who was, "Lo, am I? Lo, am I?" His name literally means, "Not my people, not my people." In a sense, then, what God is saying in Hosea, and Paul is going to connect even to the Gentiles, even to us today, the chosen nation would cease to be the people of God. Now, not completely, but we will we will be reminded in a minute of. Uh, a remnant remaining, so they're not completely cast out. We we'll be reminded of that remnant, but because of their sins, they were once his people. They will be called not my people. What a dysfunctional marriage. A husband who is semi faithful, a wife who goes out and seeks other men to the point where the husband has to go buy his wife back from another man. And then children with those kind of names. You're not setting yourself up to be, uh, to, to be in the book of people who influence the most people in the world in a positive way. The story of Hosea reveals the rejection of God by Israel. And we say, not me. Never would I be Hosea. All the women and the men in here can say that together. I would never be Hosea. And yet, we find ourselves expecting the same things of God to us. The story of Isaiah reveals. The rejection of God by Israel, but also the story of Isaiah reveals God's gathering of a new people. Look at verse 25, as indeed, he says in Hosea, those people were not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved and in the very place where it is said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. I want, I want to point out two things before we move on. Not, these are not two points, just two thoughts to, to, um, to look at. Verse 25 says, and indeed he says. The he here is important and the says here is important. The he here is God the Father saying to his people. And the says here is a present tense word. Meaning that the words that he said to Hosea... The words that he said to Israel are the words he's still saying to all who would call upon him today. Not my people. Not beloved. Scattered out. But there is a change. The story of Hosea reveals God's gathering of a new people. He says he will call a people that are not his people, his people. He will call them who are unloved, loved. This describes God opening His salvation to another nation and nations. To the world. To the Gentiles. Not His people and not beloved. Does that sound familiar? I've pointed it out a few thousand times, but in Ephesians 2... Verse 11, it says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands. Remember that at a time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promises, having no hope and without God in the world. I will call the people who are not my people. I will call people who are scattered out I will call people who are unloved, loved my people and planted. You might look at this and wonder how then is God cutting off his people and opening up salvation to the Gentiles, a loving plan. I would like to remind you that everyone ever deserves the wrath of God in hell for all eternity. That the fact that God looks down on anybody and saves anyone is an act of grace and mercy and his own volition and not ours. But I will also point out a positive here that God did not cut off his people completely. But he, what he did was he put Israel on the same spiritual plane as the Gentiles. Maybe you've never heard it this way and I hope this clears it up for you. Israel was God's chosen people. After Israel's rejection, the Gentiles were not. After Israel's rejection, he let Israel know definitively that they were on the same plane as the Gentiles. Really, that's the way it's always been. It's always been about grace through faith in God alone. But now his people knew it. Without a doubt. They were cast out, not in the sense that they were cast away, but they were cast out in the sense that they were not in the same favor as they were with God. Basically, the Jews became Gentiles in spirit. And in his love, he says this. He says, remember, these are the Gentiles that are in exile. They're in, I mean, the Jews that are in exile, they're in Gentile lands. In love, he says, I will call them both where they are. He will call an unwanted and unloved people that are not His. He will call them His people. He will call them loved. And He will call them from the very place that it is said to them. The place where you are is your spiritual disposition. Right where you are. And what is every person's spiritual disposition? Stranger. Alien. Far off, without hope, everyone is on the same plane. And Paul has already confirmed that earlier in Romans 9 as we've attested to. But he is doubling down by saying, yes, even the Jews (coughs) start where all Gentiles are. I will call you where you presently are. The story of Hosea, friends, is the autobiography of every person in this room. We had a husband who loves us, who pursues us, who cares for us, we reject him and go seek after another mate. He, after a time, comes and finds us and he bought buys us with a price and keeps us in a way that we can never run again. Friends, when we give our gospel testimony, it should look somewhat like our personal testimony. What's going on in our life? I was this, I was this, I was this, and now I'm this. But it should look more like this. I have have been a sinner since the beginning. Since the fall of mankind, I fell into that depth of sin. I was conceived in sin. I was born in sin. I was without hope in the world. I was was subject to that sin at every turn. But God, being rich in mercy, stepped down, intervened, and He saved me. Friends, if you give... that's, That's the Bible, first of all. But if you give that testimony and you say that is the story of your life, those who are going to be saved will be saved just from those words alone. It is God's word that will save. So it's good to say where you were specifically. It's good to say what God has been doing in your life. I think all of those are important. But it's just as important to understand that we are Hosea. We are the story of Hosea. We live the story of Hosea. We perpetuate the story of Hosea. What a wonderful illustration for us to lean into today. I will call you scattered, thrown away. I will call you no mercy, pitiful, not to be pitied, unloved. I will call you not my people. But then from that, I will call you something else. Hosea 3 goes on to say what that is, and it just caps his story off wonderfully. And in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall again excuse me, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow her for myself in the land. Friends, Jezreel goes from being scattered out, thrown out, but in the same word being scattered as seed that is planted. Jezreel goes from being cast out, from being thrown away, to when God steps in, when God intervenes, when God buys Jezreel, Jezreel is cast out, are cast out into the ground to be planted and to produce a fruit. And they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. I'm just going to finish reading this verse because i got ahead of myself. And I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are not my people. Or, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Friends, I got ahead of myself. I'll start back over so you can understand the significance. The Lord changed the names of the children of Hosea in Hosea 3 after, to, to, to symbolize what was going to happen after his rescue. Instead of Jezreel being cast out as trash, he is cast out like the seed that is to be planted. God took the low or the no, it means no off of Ruhemah, and she simply becomes loved. The one who has uh, who mercy is upon mercy is on her. She was no mercy. I will have mercy on her and he took the low off of Am I and he becomes he goes from you are not my people to you are my people. See, friends, this is what happens when God intervenes. This is what happens when God steps in and buys his people with a price. First, Peter two ten echoed this once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, you were no mercy. But now you have received mercy. John Calvin said it this way, when the Jews were banished from the family of God, they were thereby reduced to the common level with the Gentiles. The distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles has been removed and the mercy of God now extends indiscriminately to all the Gentiles. Friends, to everyone in the world, when God steps in, when God makes a command, when God establishes something, it is established for forever. And what he has done is he has established a way for all of mankind to receive him as Savior and Lord. He has established a way for those who were cast out to be cast down and planted in the the fertile ground. He has established a way for those who were called no mercy to be children of mercy, to be sons, to be loved. And he has established a way for those who were called scattered abroad, aliens, far off, not my people, to be called my people. And it extends indiscriminately throughout all of mankind. I'd like you to take a look at the second illustration really quickly. I probably could have stopped there and you would have been happy. Maybe I can make you doubly happy with the second illustration. The prophet Isaiah shows us that not all Jews would be saved, but only a remnant. That's the second point today. The prophet Isaiah shows us that not all Jews would be saved, but only a remnant. Remnant. Uh, Isaiah <laughs> verse 27 is quoted from Isaiah. It says, and Isaiah cries out concerning Israel Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out His sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. The beginning of chapter nine asks this question. Has God's purpose failed? Has his purpose failed, excuse me, in saving his people? The answer is the affirmative that Paul gives. No, may it never be. It's the strongest affirmative one, affirmative one can give. Isaiah confirms for us that this is true. There is a remnant of people, a group of leftovers, so to speak. The wording for remnant here is, was first used in military terms. And what it means is, it's the people who still stand after judgment. The word for remnant here is the people who still stand after judgment. And there's a lot to be said and I'll kind of emphasize this a little bit later, friends. But don't consider yourself a part of the remnant if you can't take the fires that stand in front of you. Don't consider yourself a part of the remnant if you won't be able to stand. If if the testimony of your life will not be able to stand withstand the judgment of God. The remnant is what is left over after divine... Judgment For the people of God, it may seem bleak, but friends, there is always those who are faithful. We learn from the story of Elijah that there is always a remnant who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Elijah, after defeating the Baals, he is is pursued by Jezebel and he is distraught. He is beside himself. He goes out to the, the desert, the wilderness to die. And the Lord meets him there and he says, look, there is a remnant. There is a people. Get up. Don't be discouraged. There is a remnant. I have, I have reserved 7,000 who have not bowed their knees to the Baal. And friends, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the faithfulness of the Lord, is that he is both saving and keeping a remnant that are is, who will refuse to bow their knees to the Baal. Who refuse to bow their knee to the God. Of this world. Paul is saying something else. Even though that there are countless people in the nation of Israel. There will only be some who come to faith. This remnant is the chosen. Then it is the chosen of the chosen. It is all those who come to God in faith. And though it is small in size relative to the population of everyone who has ever existed. The remnant of God is large. It is vast in every tribe and tongue. And those chosen people have always come to God through faith. We have the luxury of seeing this side of Jesus and knowing that it's faith in Christ alone. I want to point out two definitive things for us to see from this this illustration from Isaiah. Isaiah confirms that narrow is the gate and difficult is the path that leads to life. Isaiah confirms that narrow is the gate and difficult is the path that leads to life. Paul Paul writes of Hosea and Isaiah as if they are speaking to us today. He writes of them in the present tense. What Paul is saying, what Paul is doing in doing this is he is connecting the Old Testament Isaiah and the Old Testament Hosea and their stories to what we are experiencing, what they were experiencing at that time and what we experience today. He is spe- it is a text that is speaking to us today. Friends, there is only one remnant. And if we have received the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we have repented of our sins and trusted in him in faith, then we are a part of that remnant. That remnant is made up of Jews and Gentiles, all nations Of the earth. That remnant will come to Christ by grace through faith, and that salvation is then unimpeachable. What Isaiah is confirming here is also confirmed in the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew says, Narrow is the gate. For the gate is wide, uh, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I want you to understand a few things by what we understand about a remnant. What we know about a remnant is that God is trying to tell us that the Christ path, friends, is not the well-worn path. The Christ path is not... The well-worn path. This is very important. It It is not a political indictment. It is not a social indictment necessarily. But it is something that we should examine. If we make a firm stand. And we look behind us. And there aren't a bunch of Christians confirming that stand. We can be sure that that stand is an ungodly stand. Because Christians will confirm, true believers will confirm truth. If we look behind us, and it will probably be a smaller group than we might expect. If we look behind us and the masses are confirming what we are saying, we can probably be sure that what we are saying is not from God. Narrow is the gate and hard is the path. The Christ path, friends, is not the well-worn path. It is lonely. It is long. And it is hard. He's teaching us this. The Christ path is not the easy path. It's difficult. It's hard work. Again, this is not a political statement by me using this terminology. But we have to sift through the fake news. Not a political statement. What I mean is, friends, practically since the beginning of the world, Christians have been bombarded with fake news about their position in God, fake news about who they are in Christ, fake news about where they stand with others, fake news about the way to eternal life, fake news about how we should uh, interact with the culture. This is not a political statement at all. It's just fake news is the terminology that we're using right now. Thanks, Donald Trump. And, 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 it's, and it works here. We are bombarded with lies. We are bombarded with fake news in general. Which makes the path very difficult. Because not only do we have to face the treachery of the physical and spiritual and emotional toll that the path takes. We also have to constantly use our sword to wield off and our shield to, to, uh, to tame the fiery darts of the enemy. This is why Christians above all people should be pursuers of truth. The, listen, the, the not very worn path, the narrow path. Do you know why most people don't take it? Because the wide path requires less work. You cannot be a pursuer of truth unless you work for it. Unless you pursue it. That's not a statement on how you're saved. That's a statement on how you work out your salvation in fear and trembling. You cannot be a pursuer of truth unless you work for it. By nature, because there are so many falsehoods for since the since the since Satan, since the enemy told Adam and Eve the first lie, there have been a bombardment of falsehood on believers. Not only can you, be, can you not be lazy and walk the narrow path, but you have to proactively seek out what is true. Because if you don't, it will be easy to be bombarded by the falsehoods, to take on the falsehoods, and trust the first thing that comes to your eyes or your ears. The Christ path is not the easy path because there's work involved. It is narrow, it is difficult. But friends, you need to hear this. It is the worthy path. And I'll double down. It's the only path. One more thing that I think Isaiah is saying today is Isaiah confirms that we should all be damned if Christ had not intervened. Isaiah confirms that we would all be damned if Christ had not intervened. Look at verse 28. For the Lord will carry out His sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. For the Lord will carry out His sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. Friends, you need to know this. If you have not trusted in Christ, if you have not repented of your sins, that's taking a 180 from where you were, knowing that the path you were down is not the Christ path. Taking a 180 from that, going the other way, repented of your sins. If you had not pursued the Lord in faith, If you have not answered the calling of the Holy Spirit on your life, and then if subsequently there is not a plethora, if not countless, of examples of sanctification in your life, that means likely that you are under the wrath of God still. And the judgment of God will come quickly, swiftly, it'll be sure, it'll be final. If the, Lord had not been, if the Lord had not intervened, Paul said, as quoting Isaiah, if the Lord had not intervened, we would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. What's left at the site of Sodom and Gomorrah? Nothing. Ashes at the time, but you know, they're probably dust in the wind, you know. All they are is dust in the wind. But uh, so they're gone. It's gone. Nothing. Reduced to nothing. If the Lord had not intervened, we would have been blotted out. So how do you know if you're a part of the remnant then? How can we confirm that we are his? I'm going to say this and you probably only heard me say this a thousand times, but we have to. It is imperative. So I'll keep repeating it. Do you know why I need to keep repeating it? Because we're not doing it as faithfully as we should, all of us. Know and trust His Word. I know I say this all the time, but the only way to distinguish the remnant from the not remnant is to know what God says about the remnant. There are people in this room today, myself included at times, you included at times, who unknowingly sin because we don't understand the Word of God like we should. Who unknowingly give ourselves over to the enemy because we don't understand the Word of God like we should friends you need to know that sins of omission you accidentally omit them out of your lives you'll be found just as guilty of those as sins of commission know and trust his word we must know his word not only because it sends us down the right path read Psalm 119 thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God read read Psalm 119 and think about what the word of God means to us We must know and trust His Word. Not only because it shows us the right path, but it also shows us the wrong path. And that's equally as important to know where not to go than it is to know where to go. How do we find out that we're a part of the remnant? How do we confirm and make sure and grow in this? We align ourselves with those who stick faithfully to the Word. We align ourselves with those who stick faithfully to the Word. And friends, I say... Only those who stick faithfully to the word. We can be cordial and we can be kind to everyone. We can bring up the gospel to non Christians of all types, but we must choose to only double down on those who treasure the Bible as we do or more than we do. But I don't think we should cancel people, but here is what I do. And you need to understand this is why I do what I do. I don't get hung up on spiritual men or women. I haven't a lot of the people that I've liked in the past have moved on to a different theology. A theology that I think <clears throat> a theology that was not me emotional, that was just clear in the, th- clearing the th- <laughs> A theology sad that I have to explain that. A theology that is not biblical. I never really got hung up on them as a hero most of the time. Uh, it saddens me to see. But I think one way that we can make sure that we are not we are aligning ourselves with the right people is even me. Even me. Don't get hung up on a person that is close to you or a person that is not as a hero. They are a hero to you as long as they preach the Word of God. And if I ever stop preaching the Word of God, I hope, I doubt, any, I doubt I'm a hero to anybody in here, but I hope that... The feelings about you have about me now respectively go down in comparison to what they were. I don't get hung up on spiritual men and women. I love John MacArthur. I love Steve Lawson. I like Mark Dever. I've liked a lot more people that have fallen away. But I only have so much energy to spend and, and put into trusting Men who are speaking on the word of God. So I'm going to trust in the ones that I think. And I'm going to double down on those people who are most faithful to the word of God. Here's another thing I do. This is a choice you can make. I only learn and sit under the most biblical teaching possible. That means reading books. That means listening to sermons or podcasts or even secular radio, secular TV, whatever it may be. This is not relative either. There are ways of measuring who is the most godly. And if you want to discuss those or debate those, we can have a conversation about those later. There's not time for that today. But I only learn and sit under the most biblical teaching. And if I read or choose to learn something from someone who is not a Christian or is not who I have deemed personally the most biblical of this group of theologians, if I'm learning from those people and I, this is going to sound harsh, but this is my mentality, and it's okay. It's always been my mentality. I don't know that I've ever said it out loud, but here you go. I only look at it as learning from my enemy. Even if they're a Christian who I think has fallen away from orthodoxy, I only look at it as learning from my enemy so I can know my enemy. I put this quote on Facebook a, couple, oh, a week or so ago, and I want to read it to you today. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the results of 100 battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. That's Sun Tzu in his book, The Art of War. But Bryce, this is too harsh, right? Aren't we to love? Aren't we to love everybody? Aren't we to love the world? The world isn't my enemy. But what does the Bible say about that? Do we want to go to the Bible or do we want to go with what our feelings tell us? The Bible says friendship with the world is enmity with God. Now, that is friendship with the system of the world. But let's take it a step further. What does the Bible say about us before Christ is in our life? Does it have very high things to say about us? Does it say we were just close? We were just about to be there? The Bible says that we were far off, that we were strangers, that we were aliens. And that we are enemies. And if we are in, if, if we are the unbeliever is an enemy of God. Then they are enemy of us. Now we walk this weird line because of that. We on a practical level. We reject everything that the world has to offer. In the form of knowledge. In the form of pleasure. We reject those things. And we only receive them in a godly way. We reject everything the world has to offer. An an examination of worldly knowledge, an examination of enlightenment, or their version of truth should only be then intel gathering or an enriching tool. Intel that will help us effectively know how to bring them the gospel, how to bring the gospel to the lost. So that we can allow more people to leave their old team and join the new one. As life goes on, going down the narrow path, friends, we try then to find this balance between loving our enemies and understanding that they have little if nothing to offer us on the way of spiritual and personal development. See, I say this, I point this out because I think it's quite the opposite in the church today. I think we think loving our enemies means believing or adding value to or accepting their view and vantage point. If you can find that in the New Testament, give it to me and I'll correct myself after I say this. Loving our enemy is not thinking on, reflecting on, finding the positives in or confirming or affirming someone's who is not of God, their vantage point. Loving your enemy is is simply this. It said in 1 John, if you love the world, if you love your neighbor, you will obey his word. It's as simple as that. So loving your enemy does not mean giving ourselves up more to the things that our enemy has, the things that they Receive and accept as right. And we being more accepting of those. Loving our enemy means giving ourselves more up to the things of God. And accepting only what God says is right. And following those to the best of our ability. We have it backwards friends. We have it backwards. We've tried in, in the pursuit of being incarnational. Which means you know like, the, like those around us. Like the, the situation we're in. In the pursuit of being incarnational, we have become unholy. And that is a danger, friends. That is a dangerous line. You can do more to show your friends that they are loved and accepted in just obeying the words of God, sharing the Gospel, and being faithful to sanctification. Has God... Broken His promise? Is Israel's unbelief proof that God's Word has failed? May it never be. Because God is reserving for Himself right now, in this room even, He is reserving for Himself a people that He has bought with a price who were once of no mercy, who were once far off, who were once not My people, who are the loved and planted People of God. And for that, we look at things like this. And whereas we might say in the past, Paul, you've lost your mind. You've gone off track. We might say now, thanks be to God for saving his people. Pray with me. Lord, you are good. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, as we are in this. Thanksgiving holiday season, Lord, it means so much for a believer than it should for anybody else. As a believer, we can know what true thankfulness is. As a believer, we can know what true grace and mercy is. We can, we can know what a, as a believer, we can know what love is. Thank you, Lord, for displaying that most beautifully through your Son who came to this earth who lived a perfect life, who died a death he did not deserve, thereby taking on the wrath of God, who was buried and rose again in all power and glory and sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Thank you for showing that in his determination to see salvation through from the beginning to the end. God, you are so good. We are so unworthy. Help us to give our lives to You as an offering to be used. So not only that we know You, but we are known by You as Your people. Those who are beloved. Those who are planted. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus and for His sake. Amen. We're going to come to our time in our service where we take communion. This time is a holy act of worship this time is a time where we remember the sacrifice that our perfect savior has given where his body was broken his blood was poured out not only making us a way not only making a way for us to receive this beautiful gift of salvation on earth but also opening for us complete access to the father We see that in part now, but one day we will see that in full. And so as we take communion, we think not only of the ramifications just surrounding the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, but the ramifications for us and all of the world that is in one accord doing this over the course of this Lord's day. Because this is a holy act, we pray that as best as you can, you come up here with clean hands and a pure heart. That your mind, if if, on, if it's coming to this table, is able to be centrally focused on what you are doing today with this bread and with this cup. Friends, it's a dangerous thing when we as a church do what God says is holy in an unholy manner. So for your sake, for our sake, I pray that every time you come up here. You do this in a holy manner, as holy as we can with our feeble hands, with our feeble ability. Today we're going to pray, and as a time of response, I just want you to spend some time praying. And then I'll close us in prayer, and as I close us, uh, I want you to come and form a line and, and receive the communion today with clean hands and a pure heart. The thought of being not my people, not beloved, scattered out, is bone chilling. The thought of being planted, loved, and your people exudes the most confidence of anything that I have in my life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You've you've given us that confidence. And that confidence carries over. If we allow it, if we grow in the spirit of God, it carries over into everything in our life. Not a confidence in self, not a confidence in who we are, but a confidence in who we were and who we are now in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. While we were still sinners, for pulling us out of the enemy's camp and putting us in to the camp of the Most High God. Let that never be lost on us. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. What a mighty name is the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: You Must- and stain He washed it white as snow.
4: Amen. So thankful, right? Uh, just when you thought it couldn't get better. Um, so we have our Thanksgiving meal tonight. Uh, if, you, uh, if you are new, you can just come, just show up. We would be happy that you just showed up. If you want to bring something, maybe a drink or a dessert or something like that. Um, But if you have been around for a minute, you don't have any options. (laughs) Bring stuff. Lots of it. Be generous in your serving portions of food. Um, But yeah, so that's tonight. Um, Someone here knows the time. My wife or I don't. Five o'clock. Uh, all of you do, so I shouldn't be the one. That, maybe next time I'll sit there and y'all can give me the announcements. Um, okay, so very thankful for that. Um, any. Yeah, if you, if you did not complete
0: Operation Christmas Child boxes, you can still do those online for 25 bucks. The link's in the Facebook group. You can just Google Operation Christmas Child. Do us a favor if you do that, post in the thread so we can get account, a count, church count.
4: All right. So thankful for you. So grateful. I always feel like I don't deserve in in more than one way. Don't deserve you. So, love you. Grace and peace. Get it?